0: Welcome to the Association Corner, a podcast series focusing on insights and trends for association professionals by association professionals. Welcome back listeners. If you're new, I welcome you to the Association Corner, the podcast for associations. I'm Jessica Richardson, Multiviews Director of Partnership Marketing and your host for today's podcast. We have an exciting speaker with us today, so I won't delay the introduction any longer. With me is Heather Maurer, CEO of National Association of Nurse Practitioners in Women's Health. Heather has over 25 years' experience in the association and nonprofit space, where she's led many strategic planning processes for both national, international, and local organizations. She has experience in translating missions and goals into operating plans with clear benchmarks and annual objectives all while leading organizations and departments through periods of financial stress, substantial growth, and transition. Today, we'll be talking about her efforts within the space during both growth and financial distress phases. Heather, welcome, and thank you for joining me for the discussion today.
1: Jessica, thank you so much for having me today. I really look forward to chatting with you about this important subject that I think um honestly hits many many nonprofits and associations and so I am happy to share my experiences with everyone.
0: That's great. I always like to start with a little background of our speakers. So can you tell us and in the audience what brought you to a profession in the nonprofit and association space? Sure. So I
1: grew up on a historic uh farm in Leesburg, Virginia. That was an established foundation by the former governor of Virginia, Westmoreland Davis, who was governor of Virginia between 1918 and 1922. And my dad um, worked for U.S. Trust Bank, and the foundation was under the um, review and operations of the uh, U.S. Trust Bank. And my dad was the executive director for the 501c3 so in some ways, I was kind of born into nonprofit world. Um, I was uh, helped my dad from a young age in prepping for board meetings, whether that was putting together board packets, or meeting and greeting the board members, um, showing them around, uh, you know, improvements, there was a historic mansion where I was a docent. So it's sort of been part of my life. And then Later in my um, late 20s, I founded a nonprofit called Mother Health International, which is also a 501c3 from the ground up. It is a nonprofit that's focused on providing midwifery care in particular to women in Uganda. And it's a model of care that we're really proud of. We've lost no mothers, so we have zero maternal mortality rate. And um, we are two and a half hours from the nearest hospital, so it speaks volumes to the care. And that kind of led me to, um, well, I could say this is I've always been passionate about women's health care and advanced practice registered nurses who offer midwifery care, women's health, family. And it has been part of my blood since, I would say, college, um, really uh,
0: working to make sure that women had access to health care. Wow, that, that's phenomenal. And you literally were kind of born into it. So that's fantastic. Um, with your position at NPWH and and some of the positions you've had previous to your current. Um, I know we've had discussions previously, but I know that you've overcome financial deficit in more than one organization that you've been a part of. Um, Let's talk about that for a little bit. How did you discover this within the organizations that you were with? Were there signs that eventually told you the story? Is it as plain and simple as black and white? Like, how does it uncover itself when you're within a, uh, an executive role?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And I would like to say that um, in my interview processes for any position, I, you know, I look at the 990s, I ask for a financial statement, um, a lot of questions around the finances. And what I find is, is that sometimes um, the prior executive director, CEO, and even the board members don't necessarily understand what their 990s are saying. And one of the things that I pride myself on is great transparency and really breaking down what the financials, what the story it's telling. Mm -hmm. And I have worked for several nonprofits and have volunteered for nonprofits and have experienced a lot of financial distress. And would like to say that I've got a bit of expertise in this area. Um, Definitely not something I planned on acquiring in terms of skill set. But um, unfortunately, not bad to have. Yeah, not bad to have. Right. And during the uh, pandemic, you know, every organization was stress to say the least, and uncertain of the future and the impact of the pandemic, of the economy, what that might do to association membership, uh, shifting conferences and annual meetings to virtual platforms. Did people want to go to those? There were so many uncertainty, uh, so much uncertainty in, in the industry. And I'll say this is I walked into a little bit of uh, financial distress with this organization, which was not exactly known and um, peeled back the onion and the various layers and really did a deep financial assessment of the organization and then made a plan to working with the board to really restructure our budget and our spending and make major cuts um, to operations, bringing it down to the very core and anything, everything and anything went through the lens of, is this in alignment with our mission? Is this in alignment with our vision? Does this uh, you know, come into alignment with our IDE, which we call it IDE instead of DEI? Um, we believe that inclusivity is prominent and necessary in order to achieve diversity and equity so hence why we flipped those terms a little bit and so we we really cut back on expenses and went to the very core of the organization's operations and anything that was nice to have was cut and put on the back burner um, including programming if it wasn't supported with grants um, it was then put on the back burner because, again, it was a nice to have. And with that, within the first 10 months of um, joining the organization, with an incredible staff and board members who were completely and totally dedicated and committed to the organization we turn the organization around and we now have, um, we have about a three and a half million dollar operating budget and we have uh, just over 2 million in reserves, which is fantastic. And the most that the organization has ever had in reserves um, in recent history. Wow. So that's, um, that's kind of a nutshell. I've also experienced it where, you know, nonprofits have had CEO after CEO and unable to keep folks um, past a year or two, which also causes great instability. And I think it's key for an organization and for board members to recognize that it takes time to turn things around. And when there are financial distresses, it's really imperative to work with and partner with your CEO and appreciate that CEO for the challenges that they're faced. And I think sometimes when that appreciation isn't in place, it then leads to turnover, which then leads to more destabilization, lack of institutional knowledge, and an inability to get out of the downward spiral um, and
0: stabilize the ship, if you will. Yeah. That's that's phenomenal. Congrats on the the reserves and where you are at now. Oh, Um, thank you. You know, it's
1: a team effort. Um, It is definitely not mine alone. But I will say that um, it does take a willingness to make difficult decisions. And, um, you know, we we put a halt on our 401k contribution in 2020, we froze all salaries, we reduced our healthcare to save money. Um, We did a bunch of different things that you know, were in essence personal sacrifices by our staff and um, and, and our organization as a whole. So I think that's also imperative that if you're gonna turn an organization around, you have to have, you have to be transparent with your team to let them know what's going on, which I did from day one Mm -hmm. and I walked them through it. And I also said, I think we can get out of this. It's gonna take all hands on deck. I understand if you're not in for this and you need to leave, that's understandable, but would really appreciate if you could just hang in and I will be as clear as I possibly can along the way of where we are and what we're doing. And so with that level of transparency, the staff was able to see that, you know, we we were where we were and how much cash was in the bank and the money coming in and so they could see positive effect from their efforts. And I think that also helped keep keep them, you know, keep them on board and not jump ship. And that is something that I think is really key. And I often see CEOs not being transparent, not wanting to freak everybody out, but at the same time, people feel it, people see it, um, people hear it um, regardless of whether you're coming out with it. So you might as well, get in front of it. And, um, and then you get buy in, and then you get everybody working towards the same, um, you know, to resolve the same problem. So it's like, what are we solving for? And everyone's on the same page. That's key.
0: Well, the fact that you did this in the very beginning of the the pandemic, too, I mean, that's a testament to your entire team. That's kind of two uncertainties that are are going on within your organization that no one knows what's really going to happen. So, I mean, like you said, it's, it's a whole team effort. So I I congratulate all of you. Um, Thank
1: you.
0: Yeah. We're really proud of the turnaround. As you should be. You you mentioned earlier that some of the boards that you've worked with didn't really know the ins and outs of the nine nineties based on your experience. Did the boards know about the financial distress? Is this something that's shared with them? I mean, I, based on my experience, the board have always been part of like budget planning and whatnot. So what's your experience in that side? Yeah. So here, this, the thing is it's really comes back to that CEO. So
1: everyone is a fiscal steward for a nonprofit that's on the board and your CEO. Um, And so what I think is, I think it's about how that story is told. I am really direct, brutally honest, and really, you know, if you, if there shouldn't be any surprises and sometimes things happen. And I think, again, it goes back to that transparency um, to to share what's actually going on and to educate and to have outside financial advisors help educate educate the ceo educate the board if you have a cfo great you know that person also leads and again it's about telling that story and and here's where the rub sometimes comes in is ceos are you know uh, their review is based on their performance and so may want to spin it so it seems a little more positive so you get a better raise or get a better bonus and i think that they're there's a, you could get into some trouble there where maybe you're not being as direct with the board about what's going on because you're worried that it will reflect poorly on you. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to another thing where it's really important to establish the goals of the CEO so that you are judged on those goals and objectives for the year. So I think that, um, I also think that, and I, I, you know, I have a, a post-master's degree from Johns Hopkins in nonprofit management, I still continuously read and train and learn and educate myself on financials. It is an ongoing process. I think mm-hmm. that it is one of those things that you can never stop learning and you need to continuously learn. I still have all of my materials from my financial classes from that program, and I reference them. I sometimes use those Documents so that I can walk a board through how to analyze a 990. Um, how much it, of reserves should be, um, you know, in in a in a in an organizational financial statement uh, based on its revenue. Um, you know those sort of best practices, and mm-hmm. we also use um, board source as a resource for our board to educate and often share articles throughout the year. We have a a folder of resources for our board members. That's part of their onboarding package. So it really is a combination of continuous education, providing those resources, and then a willingness and dedication to learn about the financial statements and balance sheets and what that means. Nobody, um, unless you're coming, you know, in with a background in finance or your CPA knows these things offhand, you know, this is something Mm -hmm. you have to learn. And I think it is a key responsibility of the CEO and the executive committee of the board to make sure that their board is educated in terms of, of reading those and understanding monthly statements.
0: That's yeah, that's very key. I read prior to our discussion today that the better business bureau States that a good nonprofit spends about 65% of its income on program expenses, and then the remaining 35% goes toward um, these overhead expenses. Do you find this to be true?
1: Again, that's a best practice, right? And so that's what everyone should aim for. And um, I would say that it depends on the organization, and it also depends Depends on the organization's budget and reserves. Um, bigger organizations may spend a little bit more money on overhead. However, I think the ultimate goal is to hover in that 35%. It's becoming a little bit more challenging with the current uh, economic status mm-hmm. that America's facing with inflation at 7%. Um, I just noticed our insurance went up 17% in one oh. year which is a huge jump. Um, and so these are, um, factors that may toss that, you know, overhead a little bit higher. So it's, it's, again, it's that constant balance and, um, and there's also you know, reality to operations and to hiring good talent. I do think that we've got some leeway now with post-pandemic and the ability for folks to work from home and not have all of those expenses related to commuting in and out of the office, whether that's mm-hmm. car or public transportation. And so that gives a little bit of flexibility in... Salary as well as being able to hire folks from outside of a metro area where it's more expensive to work um, also gives our you know team the ability to travel or move to other places that are less expensive to work so we've gone fully virtual we sold our building, which also played a role in building up our reserves. Um, And we are, you know, doing quite well. We really didn't skip a beat. And so anyone that says that working from home, you know, you're not getting a productive team, I beg to differ. Uh, We went, of course, virtual during the pandemic. We've continued virtual since. And as you can see from our balance sheet, um, it has actually done our organization, uh, you know, a a big, big, big big plus in terms of turning it around, creating work-life balance, and yeah. giving folks that flexibility that they need to have to have a, a, a good, fulfilling life. Everything can't be work. And um, I certainly don't miss the DC commute, so it, <laughs> personally, but I do miss the camaraderie. And as you and I know, we've met in person just to be able to see each other. Cause you know, it's uh, it was a while before we got to meet and mm-hmm. that's also important. So I think there needs to be a balance. Um, I think a hybrid model might be perfect. However, for a small nonprofit paying so much in office space doesn't make sense this right. in this day and age. And that's a way to also bring that overhead down um, by getting out of your leases.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're, you're not the only one I mean, we work with so many different associations, and especially during the pandemic, we we heard the same thing about trying to sell their building, getting out of their lease, and and whatnot, just because of the work life balance, but also the overhead, just like you said. So it, it can really do a a good for not only your budget but your reserves and whatnot. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your action plan um, to mm-hmm. overcome the deficit. Can you go into more detail about what your plan of action was?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the first thing I did was research, you know, all of our options and find trusted advisors that I could get to the, you know, details while coming up with solutions. Um, And, and honestly having an ongoing process and communication with the board, I didn't come to the board necessarily with a plan right away. What I came to the board with were facts as I was discovering them to walk them through the process and also build a level of trust. You know, I was a new CEO coming into the organization. And as anyone knows, whether you're in a pandemic situation or not, being a new CEO takes time um, to onboard and to build relationship with your board, which is key. Also, doing it in a virtual setting was initially challenging, and it had been about two years since I met some of the board members, so that was a little bit um, interesting and definitely put a little bit more pressure on that process, but I went through line item by line item of of our budget. I went through every single contract. I renegotiated every contract that we had, and also for those Um, organizations that we worked with where we received royalties like ours with yours um, looked at how can we increase that um, return. Mm -hmm. We also looked at um, reallocating core funds to, again, come into or make sure was in alignment with our mission. We um, enhanced our offerings. We increased marketing about membership and the value um, and the value of being a member in particular during the pandemic time, which had incredible uh, impact on our healthcare providers um, with ridiculous hours, layoffs, um, great challenges, not enough, you know, masks and and supplies to maintain and, and be safe. Um, and so we, we really, uh, we also worked with, with you in um, ways to increase um, things like show brief around our annual meeting and um, other marketing ideas, so I think it's imperative that you know you look at your internal structure, you look at all your contracts, and then you go to the partners that you work with that are revenue related, and you look at ways to utilize these partners, tell them your story they're going to want to help you and I think, think that's another thing where there's sometimes a bit of shame that comes with financial failure or financial distress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sadly, it happens, and it happens in particular in nonprofit world. It seems a bit more, um, but I, having come from also for-profit world, I can tell you that it happens everywhere. And sometimes people make decisions that it just aren't good ones, and. That's also part of doing business. I think the big key is be agile, be flexible, and be willing to say no. And I know that can be really challenging to board members who have these ideals of, okay, you know, advocacy is so important to us and, um, you know, all of these extras. you got to bring it in when you're in this place of uncertainty to your core, to what your mm-hmm. members value most, that is tied to bringing back revenue and then you bring those nice to haves that necessarily aren't tied to to revenue but are tied to value of those members so you have to prioritize and be transparent share with your with your with your membership with your team with your board this is what we're going to do we're going to try this we're going to see if this works and um and and go from there
0: I think it's all based. I mean, granted, I'm I'm no expert in this scenario, but I just like anything else that you may have an issue arise. It's all about trial and error and seeing what works and what doesn't work and, and moving on and knowing that if something doesn't work, it's you're not failing at this. You're just trying every option you can to get out of the hole. Um, You had mentioned that these were helpful um, in your situation, how long do you think it took you to get back into the positive? If you even have a, a guesstimate? I mean, I know it's to a work in progress well we were we were
1: really fortunate where the um actually pandemic served us well because what it did was it brought um it brought our expenses down. So as we know, holding meetings in person is super expensive and the Mm -hmm. rate of return on the investment from a financial standpoint isn't huge. Um, Many organizations work just to break even some focus on that being their number one revenue generator for the year, which puts Mm -hmm. an incredible amount of pressure on those annual meetings being successful and profitable. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we saw was we were able to offer the same content, actually provide more opportunity for people to gain more continuing education credits by being in a virtual setting and be able to charge significantly less because we weren't paying for food and beverage and airfare. And so that played a significant role into turning the organization around. I also spent a lot of time reintroducing the organization uh, to potential sponsors, corporate members, advertisers, and uh, and share with them where we were and what we were doing in terms of growing membership. Um, Also in 2020, we saw a significant increase in members. We had an 18% increase. Again, that's through those special campaigns, um, the membership campaigns with special, you know, one-time promotions. It was our 40th anniversary, so we took advantage of that um, and, for example, had, you know, membership at $99 um, instead of the. original 125. And for students, we lowered it to $40 to celebrate the 40 years. That also helped. So I think you've got to do it all um, in yeah. essence. And the key thing is, is look at all the ways you can reduce your expenses without compromising quality. And again, that virtual setting really helped us um, be able to offer that. And then with the pandemic continuing, we also, you um, you know had our in 2021 had our virtual had our annual meeting virtually and again mm-hmm. that gave us the opportunity to recover and also um you know restore reserves to a level that is acceptable for our budget and 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 best
0: standard so you saw the growth not only in revenue but organizational meaning members and probably sponsors and exhibitors as well exactly
1: I think also, too, Jessica,
0: you know, one of the things that you and I have
1: had conversations about is, and again, I came to you and said, what can you do to help us? And you're like, well, you're not taking advantage of this opportunity and that opportunity and the technology can do this. And so, again, coming to your partners and saying, look, we need to grow membership. We are struggling. We're a little concerned about the uncertainty of the pandemic and the outcome of this year. And I think having those conversations to understand what might be available to you at no additional cost that you haven't been utilizing. One of those was in our weekly newsletter putting a message to our folks that when their membership is coming up for renewal that, hey, your membership's coming up for renewal, Um, click here. And again, it's just another touch point to remind folks that they need to renew in addition to the emails and snail mail that we were sending. And I think those types of mechanisms um, can can and do help. So I think that's really key is it's a, when I say team effort, it's a team effort. It's your board, it's your staff, it's you as the leader, it's your volunteer structure, and it's your partners. And um, that's what's key into helping any organization. Again, it comes back to being transparent, being comfortable with saying we're having some trouble and we need your help. I know that in my experience, every single vendor said, okay, let me look at it. Let me look at see what you're utilizing, what you're not utilizing, and what we might be able to do at no additional cost. And in fact, let's let's look at how we might be able to reduce your cost. Um, one of the key things that I saved the organization significant money on was calling up our credit card processing vendor who was charging us 9.75% on all credit card transactions <laughs> wow. when the average is 375 and And at our volume, that's about the best you can get, maybe 3.5%. Um, and so we immediately saved money there. And again, it was just by picking up the phone and calling and saying, what can we do about this? And having that conversation.
0: Yeah, it, it's well, just like you said, I mean, you can repeat it all day, every day and it's it's true for any situation is transparency is is really key you can't sugarcoat things you can't hide things and the more transparent you are personally i feel that that trust builds and and other people are more willing to help you because they understand i mean it, just like you said it financial distress happens everywhere and and often so it's you're going to find somebody that has been through this before and can relate and can help in in some manner um so once you were back afloat let's say um is your problem done how are you continuing to grow the organization now do you still have specific plans in place to to hold funds for for different avenues or are you going are you back to normal as as they would say during the pandemic <laughs> Well, we're
1: back to normal. (laughs) um, If you want to call it normal, I think that, you know, a lot of great lessons learned during the pandemic. And um, it has been one of the things that we're doing is we're doing a lot more virtual education. And that has been helping um, our bottom line and reaching the needs of our members, which is, of course, our first and, and first priority is making sure that our members are are gaining what they need from our organization. We're very well known for our clinical education and women's and gender related healthcare, And that's something that we pride ourselves on and will continue to um, offer and um, develop. So but I don't think you're ever really done. And I think that once you come out of a financial distressful situation, you're always you remember what that was like and you'll do everything you can to prevent that from <laughs> happening And so we're in a place where we're growing in terms of staff, but we're being extremely fiscally responsive, uh, responsible, excuse me, in our growth and not growing too quickly and making sure that we can continue to cover the expenses of staff while growing in membership and uh, educational offerings. So the growth is in areas to support. Um, the organization with its, with its top priorities and, and strategic goals and objectives. So I think that that's really key, um, you know, to, to keep in the back of your head. We, um, we now have a, a strategic plan. We have strategic priorities for the next two years. We are on point with those. We also are, uh, we have an emergency fund, which is great. So should we be faced with another pandemic type situation, we'll be able to weather it. And we can also take some of that money and invest in enhancing membership value and offerings to our members and even non-members. So that's super, um, you know, super important in helping um, helping the organization, We're still fiscally responsible and prudent uh, in ensuring that we are spending every dollar with a high level of consciousness. And, um, you know, I still do things like, you know, make sure that we're getting the best price on on something. And, you know, if the bids seem high, go back to market and see what Mm -hmm. else is out there. So I think that it's an ongoing process and it, is, it takes time and energy, but it is imperative to the success of an organization. I think always you have to remember, you know, you're a nonprofit and while, um, you know, we, um, we all enjoy a, a beautiful hotel, uh, a nice hotel is good enough as well. So it
0: doesn't have to be that top dollar um, expense. Well, like you said, your members are really into the education, so that's what matters most to them. Exactly. Exactly. So if someone is going through this situation currently or something similar, um, you have given great advice already. But what is a couple, let's say, three key things uh, as first steps that you would give advice to an individual or organization?
1: Sure. Well, speaking from the CEO seat, I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, are you in? Are you in to do the work that it's going to take to turn the organization around? And if you're not in, then you need to get out because it doesn't serve anybody if you're on the fence and um, you're kind of like looking for your next gig while you're maintaining, if you will. Um, I personally, um, in the, during the pandemic and then finding out that, you know, our, our reserves were going to be used up to pay some outstanding invoices and then, you know, bringing us down to an incredibly low level of reserves. I had to ask myself, am I in or am I out? And I, um, took a long weekend and thought about it and said, no, I'm in, I am passionate about this organization. I'm passionate about its mission. And I'm going to just roll my sleeves up and I'm going to do the very best I can with what I know how to do. I'm going to seek advice and um, I'm going to be transparent throughout the entire process. So I think that's first and foremost. Then the second thing is, is to be positive, to look at, the challenge as an opportunity and to really have frank and open conversations with your board, with your staff, in understanding how you might have gotten there. But more importantly, what are you going to do differently to turn things around, to, to make that shift, to grow your membership, to have more people coming to your virtual event? I think that's key. And ensuring that you've got everyone's buy-in, that everybody's on board with you and is willing to go above and beyond is key. Without that, you will not be successful. Um, it's it's basically gonna be impossible. That, and then oh, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. I was gonna say then thirdly, be creative and be willing to be daring and trying new things. Um, if something in the past is assessed where it wasn't working, don't do it again. <laughs> Just because you're in financial <laughs> crisis and that's what you know, don't do that again. Try something new, and introduce a, a new message and a way that you're presenting things. I think is key. And um, and and again, that bring that creativity, positivity, creativity, and commitment. Those three
0: things are key to any turnaround. That's great advice. Um, and the fact that it's been successful for you, I mean, you said it takes a a CEO, you have to decide whether or not you want to be a part of this or not. I mean, you could have easily gone somewhere else, but you, you stuck it through and you had great success with your plans, um, and staff and, and everyone you've worked with throughout this situation. So I like I said it before, I congratulate you and your team and, and everyone through this process. Um, and I thank you for for sharing your story. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I, I know you're a, a busy lady in this space. So do you have any last statements for our association listeners um, before we close out? I don't, but
1: I do want to, you know, shout out to anyone that's listening this and especially any CEO or CFO or C-suite person or even board members that might be listening to this, um, I am happy to chat with you. I'm happy to share with you some of the, actually any and all of the details um, of how we did this and how um, we were successful and what that looked like. And, you know, I'm happy to be a resource. I, I know the challenges and I know that it's scary and, I'm working because I need to and I want to. And so, you know, when it's tied to your own personal bottom line, um, that can bring up fears. And um, I've been there. And so honestly, I just I'm willing to help anyone that might need it and um, to share greater details of um, what that process looked like for us and um, and how fortunate I was to work with an incredible board and volunteer Uh, uh, committees and the staff in in helping this organization. I will say, too, it's really key that everyone really deeply cares about the organization and is deeply committed and connected to the mission. I think that really helps as well. It helps you get through the hard times so that when things get settled and uh, back on track that you can really enjoy the good times.
0: Absolutely. Um, do you have a preferred method of contact if anyone wants to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, check me out on LinkedIn. It's um, Heather L. Maurer. And um, I, uh, I, you can send me a message and um, I'd be happy to connect and uh, set up a time to chat with anybody that needs needs some advice. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you again, Heather. I really appreciate you joining me on today's discussion. Um, and I hope that our listeners are able to, to take something from this and, and use it within their own organization. So I, I really appreciate it. And we will talk soon.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today um, on your show. It's been a pleasure. And I thank uh, all the listeners for tuning in and look forward to chatting with you all um, in the future. Thanks again, Jessica. You're welcome. (laughs)